Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is TurboTape Games' Jan Haugland, uh, who has recently released the naval, naval war game, Naval War Arctic Circle. Uh, naval War is set in a near future, in the 2030s, uh, and Russia and the, Na- and the NATO alliance have come into conflict uh, over resource disputes in the newly opened Northwest Passage. Uh, Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I guess you know I'd like to start a little bit with your background. Uh, where you know TurboTape is a new developer. Where where you all come from, and uh, what led you to this uh, to making a naval war game? Uh, we started TurboTape Games. We have a background in uh, uh, general uh, computer science teaching and being IT consultants, uh, working for businesses making applications for oil and uh, banking, essentially. That's what we do in Norway. Um, so after a bit of time, we wanted to, to start our own game company. We have been gamers since we were kids, and uh, we had um, been studying uh, game design and game uh, development, so we thought it was about time to, to try to do it ourselves, for real. Now that seems like an odd shift for a company, for a software company that has been working in uh, business applications. Everyone, everyone was on board with this. Were you all a bunch of frustrated gamers uh, wanting to get started on indie war game design? Well, we had been having a different deployment. Uh, obviously, TurboTape Games, the company, is was made for game development uh, from the start, but uh, we. Um, when you're a computer programmer, it's not really hard to get a de- decent and well-paid job in uh, in the industry. And a lot of people are, uh, you end up being stuck there because if you start as an indie developer, it's uh, going to be reasonably hard to pay your bills for a while. Uh, but we were in a position where we could do that and we could also do other projects as part of the company's growth. So uh, we were able to do both, so to say. So what led you to making a what what led you led you to making a uh, modern naval war game? There there aren't a lot of those these days. Absolutely not. Um, I was such a fan of Harpoon uh, back in the old days, and I played it a lot. And I had I think every game developer, game designer has in their heads a lot of dream games they want to make and. I'd have probably for 15 years or something like that. I really wanted to make this kind of game, which was like Harpoon, but then again, not like Harpoon, more modern, more normal RTS interface and and the way you play it. So uh, um, when we sat down after we started the company to find our our first major project, we, uh, we agreed that this was the best project to get started on. Do do you and uh, your your colleagues at TurboTape, uh, do you come from like a naval background? Like, is is this a subject you've you've always had passion on? Uh, and it seems like you'd run into a problem with, uh, especially like near like a near future scenario, like like your uh, like you do in Naval War. It seems like you would run into a bit of a, pro- a bit of trouble with uh, expertise. A lot of these weapon systems are speculative. Um, you know, I don't know. So could, so could you go into a bit, uh, 
your background on on naval warfare and uh, what sort of resources you were using uh, as, as you worked on worked on naval war. Well, none of us were really professional uh, in in the field, the military or or anything. Though some of us have um, have been in, in navy and army. Uh, we were. It was interest, amateur interest, and uh, our sources were. Uh, open source, essentially, what you can, you know, what you can find online, and a lot of it is based on on Jane's publications and so on. So, yes, it's a lot of things that were reasonably hard to find out, and uh, quite a bit is um, kind of controversial. It gives a bit of fuel to our discussion forum from time to time, um, but uh, I don't think it's crucial for the game that it's absolutely 100% accurate and it's not a disaster if we get something wrong. If we get something wrong and somebody tells us about it, we try to fix it. But we're also a bit wary about changing the balancing of the existing missions too much right now. So, um, but it's, we want to get it as right as we reasonably can. Now, that right there is, is a departure from uh, sort of the harpoon tradition. Mm-hmm. Where a harpoon, I think, you know, it, it, it harpoon sort of seemed to set this standard for what a naval war game should be that was both good and bad. I, I, I think harpoon sort of played a role in making it a very um, forbidding genre. It's, it's, you know, to 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 play harpoon, you have to be a bit of an expert in uh, weapons platforms, uh, sensor arrays. Uh, you, you really have to you really have to be up to speed on how you know the mechanics of running a modern navy uh, work, um, but that that wasn't your approach with naval war. Not really, but obviously we had to, we had to balance it a bit, uh, which I guess we made ourselves a bit of a challenge by by doing that. Uh, we said from the start that if there is a conflict between gameplay and realism, gameplay will win every time. That's our philosophy. You. We don't make simulators for, like the military. We we do make entertainment games. That's what it is. But within that framework, we want to get it as accurate as possible. And you you make a very good point when uh, you notice that more or less the grandfather game of the entire genre, not that it's a big genre, uh, is Harpoon, which was uh, was more and more advanced and more and more accurate as time as versions went on. So that might have uh, meant that this uh, it scared a lot of people away from the, the whole field and uh, it also creates certain expectations in the market that uh, uh, we obviously on we, we aren't meeting all of those expectations because we didn't really intend to. Uh, so have you played the uh, d- did you play any of the Sonalists games? Uh, like Fleet Command, Dangerous Waters. I I did play Fleet Command. Actually, I only picked it up uh, quite late when it was a bit of a late game because apparently I tried it back then and I didn't make it work because it was a bit buggy. Um, and uh, then I found it later and then actually played it. Well, so and yeah, I played some of that, but it's I'm not really big background when yeah. when a game runs into pure simulation it's uh, i mean i love that kind of game exists but I, I don't have the patience for getting into it really yeah i was i was just going to remark that 
you know those went in and you know in terms of if you if you look at if you look at how games have evolved from harpoon in the genre mm-hmm. um it, it certainly seems like Harpoon sort of set the standard, but then you had you had Sonalists uh, who made wonderful Sims, uh, mm-hmm. but then when they when it came time to do a war game, they actually, uh, you know, those games actually, if if I recall correctly, had you going around and like using passive sonar yourself. You know, you had to do submarine detection yourself. You had mm-hmm. to. Uh, it was very sort of micromanagement. It was part war. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, I mean, you have to more or less. You had to be the sonar operator and interpreting these rare sounds or markings on your sonar display, and then you had to change to being the weapons operator and the captain and everything. So you were essentially the whole crew on a submarine. Uh, yeah, which which is definitely daunting. But at the but at the same time, though, uh, and this is this is something. This is a problem I've always had with with, with naval war games, and uh, we've talked about the on this show uh, in the past. You know, warfare at sea is, you know, I think actually kind of hard to make interesting uh, because you, you know you're you're dealing with you're dealing with a battlefield that doesn't have any real meaningful terrain, and particularly in the modern era. Uh, in- increasingly, things like weather conditions, uh, you know, play less and less uh, of an important role to what your ships and aircraft can do. Um, I mean, I guess I- I'm curious to get your view, get your views on that, because certainly, certainly, you know, in, you know, when I- when I think of these games, and even as I'm playing Naval War, uh, a lot of it's a lot of it's very straightforward, where you know, you just send your fighters out, intercept enemy fighters. And mm-hmm. uh, they engage from long range, and sort of from that point, it's on. It's sort of on autopilot, uh, and and a lot of modern weapon systems are designed to make it that simple. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, on some in some situations, you you can you can set it up by just launching the right aircraft and giving them the right orders and just timing it correctly and then everything will play out in in the right way for you uh, more or less automatically um, I, I like that that kind of design where you where you sometimes where you just build up something and just try to get the timing just right and then everything just you just wipe out the enemy and you enjoy the spoils of war um, but sometimes as well uh, we have a, I think we have a good balance of different uh, missions where some are drawn out and our people are complaining about them being too long and then we have those that you just start up and if you do everything right you win within 10 minutes and some people complain those are too short yeah, well you kind of set yourselves up for that though when mm-hmm. you didn't include the when you didn't include a save game option that was uh, that, that that was uh, not very Right, I totally admit that uh, we we should uh, have a save game uh, option in in the game when we when we made it and did those. You know, you always have to do the stuff where you look at all the options you have on your wish list and you see that okay, we we just have to get this out the door one day and that will have to go. But at that time, we really underestimated how long some of the missions would really be. Uh, so we, we hope to get uh, get the to get that uh, put into the game. Um, oh, so so you you are are you working on possibly patching that in? Uh, 
We want to do that, yes. Uh, I have to say that uh, the whole uh, staff and crew have been working very hard over the last uh, months, if not years, and uh, there is going to be a bit of a vacation this summer, and um, people are actually working normal hours, more or less, And uh, but we definitely want to, to add a save game option. That's uh, That's something we want to do. To the point about scenarios taking longer than expected, something that surprised me, and again, it's sort of a it's sort of a hazard of the setting, is that um, you know anti missile systems in particular. There, there are so many countermeasures now uh, hmm. in, uh, in like modern military equipment, especially like naval equipment. Uh, mm-hmm. That you know, was something that surprised me is you know I would set up. Uh, you know, what I thought were going to be killing blows on enemy fleets. You know, I would have my bombers coming in, radar off so they couldn't be detected, and get well within range, launch missiles. And, uh, you know, what was really surprising to me is the frequency with which those missiles are shot out of the sky. Yeah, that's Um, crazy. Uh, And we don't really know what is the truth about that, that, because that kind of... War hasn't been played out in in real life, luckily, um, but we do base it on the best guesses we can we can make for how it will work because the the, de- the defensive missile systems are just so ridiculously more advanced now than they were in Harpoon era, the the, the end of the Cold War, and uh, if they have a ridiculous long range, you almost have to get into uh, missile defense range to launch your own missiles for attack. Um, and anti-air is something that all the the, the military, the, the companies and the militaries have been working and putting a lot of money and resources into while actually anti-ship missiles, it's still essentially the harpoon. I mean, it's been slightly upgraded since the Cold War, but not very much. And there are some newer missiles under development, but that's basically what it is. So at this time, the, the, the defense is winning that war. That's quite clear. You need an overwhelming amount of, of uh, anti-ship missiles to, uh, to get the, a major fleet group down. Right. I, I, I think I was, uh, I, you know, I was tallying missiles launched to mm. how many would hit, and I think I came up with, I think I was coming around like 8 to 10 missiles launched for every one that got through to its target. Um, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. And uh, when you have a, a group which consists of one of those really powerful uh, ships like like the Ali Boos, uh, Ali Burke uh, Destroyer or a Kirov-class Battlecruiser and some other ships with really a lot of long-range anti-air missiles, you you really need to overwhelm them completely. Or sneak a submarine nearby. That's that's the best best thing you can do if you have that possibility. Right. Uh, so, before you get into, get into submarines, though, because I have a couple question, questions about mm-hmm. those. Um, but, so, when, I, when I'm, like, queuing up a... Uh, a strike on a fleet. Mm-hmm. The dilemma is always, for me, is always: should I be concentrating my fire on the escort ships, or should I try to take out the carrier uh, so that you know I can basically fly in and not have to worry about enemy fighters? Um, in your experience, is there is there a right answer to that to that dilemma? 
Um, I have tried both, and it seems that it depends a bit of how the group is organized. If if you if your missiles, if you to hit the the carrier, you have to like your missiles have to fly over all these escorts. It's probably a better idea to go for the escorts first. But then again, I mean, uh, what you generally have to do may be to just exhaust their supplies of long-range defensive missiles because the window of time where they can fire is depends on how much how many long-range missiles they have and they generally have um, not too many of them. Um, I also found that trying to jam them to reduce how much uh, time they have ahead and most importantly keep all their shoot down all their planes if they have planes in the air around it's uh, it's generally better to just pull back and try to try to take out their uh, their cap first and uh, go for the ships afterwards uh, you know but going back to the, the going back to how long some of the scenario some of the scenarios take uh, I found that you know what what really made them take a long time actually is the fact that to get these strikes to work usually you have to fly three or four missions uh, mm-hmm. to finally wipe out to finally wipe out a fleet uh, and a lot of that is happening I, I suspect uh, because yes they are running out of they're running out of missiles uh, with which to you know stand off your 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 strike craft um, but but what but what's striking then is what what you what you've got then is a, is a game that requires a lot of sitting around and, and waiting for planes just to arrive back at base, uh, just to rearm, and you can compress time, but it you know there, there's danger to that because things can happen very quickly. Uh, so you you know you you do a lot of uh, brief moments of compression, and then you have to take care of a few things. Mm-hmm. But one of the one of my recurring frustrations with naval war and i think it's made much much worse because you can't save but one of my recurring frustrations is you know yes that that may be realistic but it also means that you know a lot of a lot of engagements come down to just sending wave after wave at them uh and then waiting for the next wave to get ready Yes, it could do. It could be uh, a problem. Uh, we try to make uh, the scenario so you have something else to do in the meantime. So you like have to fend off their attacks. So you, so you're kept busy all the time. If you have it all down to you have to take out like this, um, you you have to take out an an airport or a, a carrier group or something like that. If that's the only thing you you have to do, then you can risk running into that problem where you just uh, okay. Now I just have to wait until my my, uh, my aircraft are back at base and reloading the missiles. So, um, but uh, if if the enemy has certain options for you, you keep having to look out for submarines and you have to fend off their attacks. You you generally find yourself having enough to do. Uh, in the meantime, and uh, especially if you want to, to keep uh, keep air superiority uh, in well the the area between you and the enemy, will have you need to keep uh, rotating the fighters and uh, organizing them. So uh, generally, when I when I play, I try to make uh, I, I I tend to find the pacing okay. The ones that I find the pacing is not working so well with. Uh, has been uh, where you have these submarine hunts in between because sometimes you find those darn subs 
early and sometimes you don't. Well, and not just that, though, but the submarines are painfully slow. They have to be. Yes. Uh, they, essentially, they're stationary. They have to wait for you, uh, except, obviously, the fire missiles. Right, except, um, well, but, but again, a lot, of, a lot of their missiles are not that effective against fleets mm. because of anti-missile systems. Exactly. Um, I was so disappointed when I saw one of my subs was carrying a bunch of tomahawks. Mm. And I launched from close range, and it was still it was still completely a futile gesture. All it did was tell them, "There's a submarine over here. Come kill it." Mm. Uh, and that was the last thing that sub ever did. But but that that does that does pose a problem. Um, and, and I'm not sure. I'm not I, you know I don't think naval war solves it. I'm not sure it's it's one that can easily be solved. Uh, that you have you know in in a modern naval war game, you have things operating at completely different timescales. For submarines moving into attack position against an enemy fleet, uh, and you start these scenarios with the with the submarines in a nearby threatening position, but not quite in weapons range. So even making that little movement uh, to bring them within uh, range where they could fire their torpedoes, for instance, can still take, you know, a couple hours of, um, you know, game time. Yes, it can. Uh, and yet you've got the aircraft where, you know, in those couple hours, the aircraft can fly maybe two or three missions. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, entire air battles take place in the space of ten minutes. And, and so you, you've got a problem where, you you know, the, the modern naval war game in particular, things are happening, you know, in the air, things are happening very quickly. You've got to be making snap decisions. Um, it's almost like playing DEFCON, to be honest. Have you played DEFCON? A bit, uh, but uh, Frederick, my uh, the the producer of the game, he's played it a lot. So uh, yes, it's uh, it's a little bit, and I'm I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's obviously something that some people may not like so much. But the Harpoon had the same pacing as you describe, yes. and I actually loved it. I loved it for that. I mean, doing this slow, methodical way of uh, fighting down the defenses and reducing, taking out the, the nearest uh, ship with the, the good missile defense first and targeting that. That was what really fascinated me about uh, Harpoon back then. And uh, uh, I have to admit, when I play, um, even if you think about a totally different RTS like StarCraft, uh, not competitively online by all means, but uh, one of the big scenarios in StarCraft uh, 1 where you have these formidable defenses and you just have to you have to fight your way through and you have to keep building up a new army fight your way into the the enemy territory and then you you get stuck and then you have to pull back build up your forces and and fight fight into it again i mean i love those scenarios and i i kept playing them so help me out a bit with with submarines though because something that i i was surprised at how little luck i've had with it passive detection of Mm. submarines you know when i when i think of my time in the game i am hard pressed to think of a single case where i picked up a submarine without using active sonar um the sono buoy has been my absolute top submarine fighting weapon yeah um, it's my, my main weapon, mostly because you can decide where to put it. Uh, submarines detect other submarines. Um, you will at a reasonably long range. We had some 
criticism on the forum again from a guy who is really into submarines and he was arguing that that was unrealistically long range to detect that kind of submarine. Uh, obviously, I don't really know, but uh, it was reasonable based on what we know. So, um, um, passive detection, it's mostly submarines who can do it. And you can do it with, uh, with surface ships as well, but you have to slow them down. You have to take a frigate with a, with a towed sonar array and make it go really slow and deploy that uh, sonar array. And generally, you just find, ah, I'm sending up the helicopter and drop a million sonar boys in the area. That's much faster. Right, and with with the with the sonar buoy, you can you can basically create a cordon that a submarine will have a hard time getting through. Yes. Uh, so how do you ha- how do you handle that? Like, is there any way for you know because aircraft have different radar signatures and everything, mm-hmm. um, but how do you handle like sonar so, like active sonar detection? Um, like what? What gives? What gives a submarine a chance to? Uh, you know, what gives a submarine a fighting chance to sneak through a chain of sono buoys? That would be really hard to do. Uh, generally, when there is a sono buoy in the water, they would try to sneak away the the opposite direction. Um, that would definitely be the case, um, uh, unless they have, of course, the ability. Which we have in the game, since you are the all-knowing uh, yeah. admiral of everything, you can call in fighters to fight off the helicopters. And uh, helicopters are terrible at surviving any conflict in the air, as you probably found out. Um, yeah. But otherwise, you would you would have to to use the time essentially on your side when you see sonar boys starting to drop down near you, just. Uh, just be somewhere else for a while because those sonar boys don't last forever. Uh, right, that's actually something that's been unpleasant surprises. I've gotten caught up with uh, managing another battle somewhere else, and I don't notice that my sonar buoy screen is sort of winking out of existence mm-hmm. uh, as the buoys die, and suddenly my fleet has no no protection whatsoever. Yeah, that's a sad experience. Yeah, it's it, it, it's not a good one. Um, I'm quite sure you'd be happy to hear that we did a patch because we found out that um, uh, AI-controlled submarines are not aggressive enough uh, when they get into torpedo range. So now it's um, now it's well, switched up the AI. So now when it's within torpedo range, it fires everything at everything that it sees. So uh, when did that patch come through? Uh, that will come through. Um, Hopefully tomorrow evening okay. European time. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, because that because that is the, that is something I've noticed is occasionally I found submarines uh, surprisingly close, mm. uh, but I'm still able to, you know, and and they they seem like they should be within range, but I'm still able to get a helicopter uh, to scurry over there, uh, or a or an Orion or a uh, Poseidon uh, get mm. right over there and take it out uh, before it launches. Yes, uh, um, we noticed that, and the reason was the balancing of the AI when it reaches a target and allocates certain resources to take out that target, and it f- 
find out that okay, we already have these planes in the air, so there's no need to use the submarine. No, that's oh more. really? Okay. Yeah, that was just like a, the logic itself. So now the logic is like, if you have a submarine in torpedo range, you fire no matter what. So, so has um, that been kind of a global problem for the AI? Uh, sort of, you know, because because the because what because what I learned in, just in playing the game is that. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to fire a couple missiles at a target and expect to kill it. You've got to, again, you know, you've got to kill it a lot. You've got to just absolutely, like, just pace yeah. the planes with missiles. You've got to pace everything with as much firepower as you can. Uh, and yet, one of the things I've run into in Naval War is that the AI, um, at the start of a scenario, certainly, when you've got it set up where, like, a big AI attack is coming in and you've got to fend it off, you know, then it's bringing a lot of firepower to bear all at once. But as the scenario goes on, it's kind of left to its own devices. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it does get a little bit less... Um, it, it does seem a little bit unaggressive. Uh, it, it sort of sends... Sometimes we have, that, we have that problem. The, 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 there's a balancing with the AI because we don't, we don't script the missions. I mean, we, we, we just script, okay, launch those planes. And, I mean, we essentially just do placement of forces in the, in the mission, uh, missions themselves. And then the ARA decides based on its victory conditions and all that kind of stuff what to do. And obviously, sometimes that doesn't—it doesn't get it exactly right. It's not that—it's not as intelligent as a good human player. Uh, so we have this balancing, and in some situations, you overdo it, and then you have like it fires a zillion missiles at the first thing it sees, which is obviously wrong, and then. It's too passive, and then yeah. so we, we're tweaking it every time, just changing a little bit and making it work in those scenarios we're testing. And now it's just right, and then we find we play some other scenario which is totally different. We find out that the AI doesn't really get it right this this scenario right. So yeah, but uh, we we're trying to make it put up a fight. But if you play a balanced mission, we we're adding another. Um, multiplayer um, mission uh, to the to the game uh, now, which is like 100% balanced. Both sides are exactly equal. Um, and uh, if you play that against the AI, you'll generally not, if you're an experienced player, you're not going to have too many problems with that, really. So, something else, another question about the AI, actually, is that um, something I learned to do because uh, I wasn't doing it at first, was using uh, refueling tankers mm -hmm. to change my axis of attack. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I was, because yeah, because I was running into a problem where I would fly to the target and I would run into a massive uh, mm -hmm. fighter screen or I would run into just a ton of, um, you know, surface-to-air missiles. And so what I started, what, what, I, what I learned to do is, like, you know, send, send a tanker, you know, somewhere far out, and use that as a new as a new point from which I can vector my strike craft. Right. Um, and that works. That works pretty well, because uh, mm -hmm. then you sort of are coming from unexpected directions. Um, is the AI using? Is the can has the AI figured that out? Have you been able to teach the AI to do that? Because what what I've noticed most is that the AI seems to like coming the mo most direct route. Yes, it's not really very smart at doing the, the flanking attacks and so on. That's definitely something we 
can improve and will improve. Um, we uh, we it sets up for defense. It sets up the threat axis and obviously has its major defense in the most obvious direction. But uh, and then it has some flank defenses and so on. Uh, but it's not it's not doing the the flanking maneuvers itself. It isn't, which is definitely something we will want to teach it to do, which will be a surprise for you one day, Rob. Yeah, I, I hope so, uh, <laughs> because uh, certainly um, you know when I've been able to get a you know few flights of F thirty fives. You know, between you know, just to sort of get it sitting on the path between my airbase and the enemy airbase, you know, it's it's pretty much a slaughter because uh, we 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 changed up one more thing in the next patch as well. Uh, we got a beating on the forums because the um, the Amrams, like most anti-air like all anti-air missiles in the game in the in the version you have, they can reacquire targets. So when they lose or like, yeah, I've seen them do turns. Yeah, it turns and just goes after the closest thing, and it's a total massacre. If you have like ten or twelve Amrams in the air, almost ten or twelve things will die, no matter what. They have such a ridiculous range. But in real life, Amrams can't re uh, acquire acquire a new target. It can only go for what you aimed it at in the first place. So we changed it now. So again, the patch coming out tomorrow. Those missiles that can't reacquire targets they won't so so that part will change a bit right uh, yeah yeah because that that is when you when when I've loaded up um, you know groups of you know several groups of f-35s equipped with uh, arm rams that's mm. that's the ball game yeah they, they they absolutely destroy everything it's also one of the things is that the um, the Russian counterpart, the R-77, we have too low range on, so that will also change tomorrow. It's a big patch uh, when it comes to that kind of logic. Okay. So, um, uh, okay, also optimization, it's going to be much faster, much, much easier on the hardware. So, um, uh, well, that, That's good, because in, in longer scenarios, particularly when I'm doing like heavy compression, uh, I, I do notice um, it starts to take a toll on my rig. It does, it does. That's partly because it's a lot of stuff to do, obviously. I mean, yeah. it's simulating a lot of, of, of stuff. Uh, but part of it is also that we're using the, the middleware we're using. Uh, may have some... The problem with using a middleware for the graphics and everything is that you don't have perfect control of what's going on inside it. And uh, we discovered there was some memory fragmentation and stuff that happened when you were running because it keeps throwing things in and out of memory. So uh, normally you have access to things like compact the memory now, but at least um, that was, we had to do that manually. So um, we were trying to improve that as well. So yeah, it sounds, it sounds like this is going to be a huge patch that's going to um, address a lot of issues. Uh, mm -hmm. but, th but that does raise the question because this is all stuff you you you've seen crop up in as people you know had their hands on the game and have seen these uh, seen these behaviors crop up. Um, you know, it, it's just what what kind of um, yeah, you know, like how rapid was your how 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 long was this in development? Because it seems like 
uh, honestly, like a lot of these things probably could have been caught if you had a little more time to, uh, you know, d- do testing. Not really. We had a quite extensive beta program. The the it's generally just a question of uh, scale uh, of the testing. Uh, I I mean, when we we started the the closed beta, one of the first messages posted on the board, on the beta board. Uh, and there's one guy who posted this, I'm reading to you now. Yeah. I'm trying to break the game, but I'm not really seeing anything. Is this is that normal? I mean, so the problem is when you're getting out in the field and people have all the different gig rigs with different operating system versions and a lot of people may have installed peculiar oh, software right, and, right, right. and all that kind but, of stuff. But yes. I, I'm, I'm more talking about like things like the uh, you know medium range missile behavior, um, yeah. and and sort of and submarines not being not quite having a killer instinct uh, when they get within range. Yeah, that's obviously, but it's the kind of it's the kind of things that come to the surface when you played it enough, really, because it 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 works. You test it and it works, uh, and then in other situations which you just haven't particularly tested, there are a million variables. It it it's it's not working as it should. So uh, yeah, obviously you could you could keep on testing forever and uh, hopefully find everything. And uh, we have lessons learned when it comes to the the Q and A the Q A process when it comes to having we did have an external testing agency which went through everything apparently and got their dollars for it and suffice to say they are never going to be used again. So, um, uh, basically because one problem is that we have, we are obviously computer developers, we have reasonably recent machines, we are all running on 64-bit Windows 7, it's, I mean, nothing else is an option, so that's why we wanted uh, the external testers to to go through and test on non-standard gaming, uh, non-gaming rigs and uh, old uh, operating systems and so on. But obviously, that testing was not uh, was not uh, really up to the standard we had hoped it was. So lessons learned. Yeah. Uh, so how how long were you, were you in development? Because I remember seeing this game at Paradox uh, Con in New York mm-hmm. uh, last winter. I think we talked there. Uh, were you there? Yes. Yeah. Then I, yeah, I think we, we talked a lot about about this game then, um, but yeah. So I, I I was actually surprised that you were able to to get the game out within a year. Well, we started developing. It it took us four years from we started developing the game until we we got it out the door. So it, it wasn't ex, wasn't exactly a rush. Uh, so it was a lot of work that went into. Um, uh, went into it, but there is there is there is this point when you come to it's not that it it's the, the law of diminishing returns when you put into and try to find and correct bugs and uh, that's uh, that's essentially where it's worked for something like ninety percent ninety five percent of all all customers something like that. Um, we are really sorry that we didn't catch the problem with Windows XP. We just didn't. That we should have caught that, and if we had, we would have fixed that. 
but we just didn't know and uh, the testers let's let us down on that one so uh, that's just unfortunate so when did when did uh, paradox pick up naval war that was in the we were in uh, paradox gone in new york that was in january 2011 will that be <laughs> i guess right yeah and uh, so that would be in autumn of 2010. So we signed with uh, with them. Uh, so, were you were you all, were, was your goal always to find a publisher? Or were you planning on uh, doing this indie? It was. Uh, we were thinking about doing it indie, and uh, but we also were open to other possibilities. And when we we checked out publishers, and we essentially made a shortlist with one name on it, which was the kind of publisher we would want to work with for this kind of game. So so we approached Paradox about this and um, they were having, like a lot of people I think, they were thinking we sh somebody should remake some Harpoon-like game. So then we came in the door and uh, showed them some stuff and uh, they liked that. You know, I mean, obviously, I, I have had I have had a, a fair number of issues with the game, the A not being sharp enough and everything. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I do have to compliment you in that. You know, I was actually really surprised at how easy Naval War is to play. Um, the The interface is, you know, I mean, there there are a few things I might tweak, mm -hmm. but I mean, really, like Naval War. D despite dealing with kind of a um, you know complicated subject, uh, is it really is about as easy to play as um, you know a Multiwinia or or a Defcon, uh, and, and actually Defcon in particular. The reason it keeps coming com coming to me is because uh, there, there's a number of things about this game that remind me a great deal mm -hmm. of uh, Defcon. Yeah, if we just add nukes, then we have it. <laughs> Um, yes, thank you. Uh, we 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 knew that this could potentially be a ridiculously complex game to play, and, and we didn't want that. We didn't. We don't want the user interface to be working against you. At least the least thing you can do when you have a a complex subject matter is to make the interface as good as you can possibly get it. And we've been working hard, and also a lot of us working is our experts in usability. I mean, it's the kind of things we have been doing for a living for, for a long time. And uh, we really tried so many different ways the interface could work and found out a million ways not to make it. And, uh, and we think we, we, we came to a very good conclusion, uh, all in all, that the interface is, is efficient and uh, uh, you also have a reasonably clean view of what's going on, and uh, it's not working against you as it easily can do in such a complex uh, subject matter. Um, do you, so, I, I found actually, uh, you know, some of the most interesting scenarios have actually been the ones where I don't necessarily have uh, the best equipment. Uh, <laughs> there, there, there is, there is one. There was one scenario in particular where I had to protect one of my air bases mm -hmm. uh, with nothing but uh, grip and fighters. Yes. And 
having gone going from using uh, you know the really advanced F thirty five, which by the way is a spectacular uh, leap of faith that that thing will even fly. Uh, if you've been following yes. its development, <laughs> it is. Um, uh, we we have received a bit of flack. We may have been too optimistic. Um, <laughs> About uh, that, but I mean, it's 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 the spec that people are buying, and uh, it has to be said as well that the the corresponding Russian plane, the the, the T-50s, right. are an even bigger leap of faith. So uh, so I think we have that covered. Yeah, absolutely. I, this this is a bit like um, this is a dream scenario, I'm sure, for some uh, you know American Department of Defense uh, acquisitions. Uh, I think maybe we should we should approach uh, Lockheed Martin or something about uh, about. Uh, well, you you basically I mean it's basically fan fiction made for them. Um, no, no, but but going from using going from using the F thirty fives, you know, mm. to having to suddenly make do with uh, the the Grippens mm. uh, was just was really fascinating and I actually found myself wishing there were more I found myself wishing actually there were a few more scenarios where I had to sort of make do with crap um, yeah it's a good it's a good thinking there um, it's uh, definitely uh, it's definitely a good idea and uh, we made some with uh, no offense it's also the the Eurofighter because when you don't have stealth and you're up against stealth fighters it's just what am I supposed to do? They can shoot me long before I can shoot back. So um, yeah, and and you have you have, there's no they have no flight range compared to right. Uh, the, the Swedes were not so amused. I have to tell you, <laughs> we did receive a message that uh, this is very unrealistic because they they have um, the Griffin is uh, is going to be upgraded um, next generation way before 2030. So it will actually be upgraded also in the next uh, uh, next patch uh, with a bit longer range and uh, two extra missiles. Uh, sorry about that. You're not gonna get well, them so crappy. Yes. Well, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, because because what 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 made them really interesting though is that um, hmm. be, you know, because they lack because they lack stealth, and this is something this game uh, gets across really well, hmm. is these fighters actually have pretty decent range and everything if they're hmm. able to just sort of cruise along at cruising mm-hmm. speed or half speed, uh, but combat maneuvering uh, hmm. just destroys their flight range. Yeah, completely. And actually, we tone down reality in it. Because reality is something like uh, 24 times the fuel consumptions per meter when you're on 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 um, afterburner, which is essentially ze- seconds, and then you have to return to base. There's no fun in that. So we we have actually reduced it a little bit compared to what it is in reality. Uh, but it's still you have the same effect. You essentially you have to go into afterburner. It means return to base or or splash down at sea, uh, as yeah, happened to me in one. That that happens a lot as well. It does. Yeah, I, I lost a large strike force. It's an interest. It, it creates a really interesting risk reward mm. uh, proposition. Like I I ran a really risky strike against uh, an enemy fleet. Mm. Uh, I I slipped my forces. Uh, I slipped my again doing that thing where you know have a refueling station, really loop my forces around, come from a different angle. Uh, and it would have worked great, but somebody spotted us 
and uh, we, we start having incoming missiles, and a lot of uh, these strike craft uh, had to go into, you know, high-speed maneuvering. Mm. And at that point, they didn't have enough fuel. I mean, I, I basically lost, uh, you know, five or six fighters uh, mm. because they didn't have enough fuel even to make it back to their tanker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, but it, but it was really interesting, and and with with the with the Grippins, it was it, it it it's even it's even more pronounced. Where the moment they take off, chances are they're coming under attack. Uh, so so it was interesting, like having the challenge of dealing with next generation fighters with uh, you know equipment that's you know even aging a little bit today. Right. That's why we we wanted to have this. Uh, at least two tire system about having these modern fighters uh, with stealth and everything flying Swiss Army knives, and then we wanted to have like the previous generation. So we have the uh, the Super Hornet, which is obviously a great plane, but it's not that modern. And the Grif- Griffin and the Eurofighter as well, which is a very powerful uh, aircraft, but lacking the famous stealth. Uh, which which makes uh, normally you would have some some of the top of the line fighters and then you have to you have the stopgap where you have to put up your old fighters to keep uh, keep the fight going and uh, how to how to organize your your um, your navy and your air force uh, balancing well, between the new and the old so to say yeah and and certainly some of my favorite scenarios involved a sort of t- a, a they they became all about timing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know because you, there there'd be so many enemy fighters in the air that you know my fighters would be depleting ammunition, fuel uh, almost you know within within minutes of taking off, and they have to land, and it's twenty minutes or so to um, you know reload them, and so there were a lot of those you know, the, those terrifying gaps in fighter coverage where suddenly all the F-35s are down to almost, you know, no ammunition. And so it's really down to a last, uh, last ditch group of, um, you know, Grippins or something to, uh, oh. to save you. Yeah. That is, it's, that, that's what I really, we really loved about this whole subject matter that you have all these, uh, possibilities. So, so I think the major problems that, the whole genre we have is what you mentioned earlier that we have ships and especially submarines move at the crawl and planes just zip through the air <laughs> super fast so so ships are essentially stationary while planes are moving way too fast to keep track of them um, it's possible of course you could think about making a non-realistic RTS where you may maybe the planes go just 10 times as fast as surface uh, or ships and uh, make that work out like a normal RTS with things that look like modern uh, Navy uh, but was more balanced to be in a more normal RTS where you don't need the time compression and all that could be an interesting project in right future. it was it was actually something that I, that I was I was thinking about too as I was playing it. I was I was thinking that you know this would this would actually probably be a bit more, a bit more fun or a bit more accessible if my submarines uh, zipped along a little faster. Uh, it would definitely be uh, in in some ways it, it would be, but 
there's an there's an extra uh, excitement about knowing that this is real as well, not real real, but at least as close as you can get in an entertainment game. Right. Um, so, you know, when when you talk about like lessons learned, um, you know, I I know this game just came out. You, you know, it's just, it, it's you know probably it's it's probably hard to have, have plans at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. But but have you given thought to uh, you know expansions, uh, a follow up sequel, um, you know something to, you know a game that would a game or uh, you know an expansion that would put some of the things we've talked about uh, into practice. We we definitely uh, think about the expansions. We are, we are already started planning the first uh, DLCs um, with more content, uh, but. Uh, the the large lessons maybe if it's possible to make an RTS that even those who don't like the harpoon fleet command and no naval war kind of play would like that that would be a different game uh, if we're talking about a sequel for naval war like a naval war two uh, it would be that would be much of the same but obviously we we would want to to um, uh, we will want to address uh, quite a few of the of the problems, uh, and also see what people loved and what they was mad and what they hated, and <laughs> do more of what people love. But that is a problem as well because different people they love and hate the opposite things about the game. So um, we, in some sense, we can just uh, keep uh, keep adding. Some people love the long drawn out submarine hunts, and some just love the slaughter fests where you have all the planes in the air and shooting each other down right and to an extent yeah the to an extent those are almost different games yes they are yeah they really are but you can have them going on at the same time yeah um so i mean i know when we talked at 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 uh paradox con you hinted that um you know if you were considering like a naval war 2 or something it might cover uh you know, Pacific engagements, say, between the U.S. and China? Well, between everybody <laughs> yeah. around the Pacific Sea, essentially. Yeah, that's uh, true. There's, there's a lot of navies over there. there. There will be, and that would also be the possibility to have um, more low-technology um, fights between um, other um, smaller nations in the region with, where there are conflicts or we can at least dream up some conflicts um, we, we're always getting into a bit of trouble we did get into trouble with the Russians when we made this this game when they heard about it they actually the Russian foreign minister was actually angry that somebody was making a game involving war with Russia so um, uh, we have to the problem with making using real nations and and real uh, Equipment is that we could uh, step on some uh, toes, but that's not our intention. It's our intention is simply to have a and have a war gaming involving the real units that exist, not really to mess around with the real nations. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know, like, like, what are the, uh, you know, if you if you decide to to forge ahead with that plan, like, when, when might we when might we see a game like that? I think it's way too early to to say anything about that. But one of the lessons learned uh, from this process, which was really long, is that 
I mean, we didn't have a choice. So it wasn't wrong the way we were doing it because we were small when we started and we just had to, to use the resources we had. But uh, to make a game project uh, would much make much more sense to make sure that you have the funding in place from the start, uh, at least for half the project, and then start hard and, and put a lot of resources into it early and, and get a lot of stuff working before you, um, before you run a, ahead with the project. So uh, that, that would be like more the project management side of it and uh, the resources. Obviously, everybody would love to have all the money available <laughs> to, to make the game the way they want it from scratch. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about getting a lot of manpower, the necessary manpower in place when you start making the game to get all the brains thinking and working in the start and not as we have been forced to do with this project, just started up to two of us and later adding on one more guy that could be working and then another guy and so on and so on. Right. Yes, that, that about that about covers uh, you know all my question all my questions about the game. Um, you know, thank you so much for making time to uh, speak with us today. And uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I won't lie. Like, I have uh, some pretty major reservations about Naval War. It's not a game I can, uh, you know, wholeheartedly recommend. Mm -hmm. uh, but but there are a great number of things that I like about it. Uh, there there are a number of things that I, that I think it gets really right. And uh, I really hope I, I see more from you guys. And uh, you know. Maybe you know, see a bit more of uh, see 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 a future game that delivers a bit more on the promise I see in this one. Well, we uh, we have to learn our from our mistakes in in uh, this project, and uh, we had a lot of fun making it, and uh, we we have reached uh, an audience that has been neglected by the game industry for a long time. Uh, maybe for this reason that it, it's a bit of a narrow audience for the game. Um, but thank you, Rob. Thank you for calling, and thanks for having me on. Well, th thanks for coming on. Uh, and, and as always, uh, our thanks to Michael Hermes, our producer, for uh, putting this episode together in spite of some recurring technical difficulties that uh, Jan and I experienced over the course of this call. Uh, so thanks to Michael for uh, editing this together in a coherent fashion. Uh, see you next week, everybody. Goodbye.